Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Well, it is, to some it is uh, simply a ceremony. Uh, it's something done maybe once a year. You got me back there, Tyler? Give me a little bit of help. It's, uh, there it is. It's, to some it's just a ceremony that we do once a year or maybe once a month. Maybe every week, but a lot of times we do it without much thought. And Although in Scripture it is reserved by uh, Scripture for believers only, there are millions of people that do this without ever really understanding what they're doing. Uh, we call it communion. It, it's that moment captured in the life of Jesus just preceding his own death where he meets in an upper room with his disciples and they take a, he takes a cup, he takes a, a piece of bread. I'm going to stop for a second because you can't be distracted. Tyler, can you get that out of there? I don't know what that is, but it's popping on me. Uh, so, so we take, you hear that? Everybody hear that? Okay, we're going to stop until we get it because I, I, I want you to, to, to listen carefully. Do I need to change mics? Are we good? We're good. Thank you. They give Tyler a hand. Amen. <laughs> Got to love technology. It's been an interesting morning to say the least. Uh, Jesus takes this cup. He takes a drink. He breaks bread. And he begins to talk to the disciples and to us about the covenant that he's making with us and the fact that by his broken body we would receive healing. What we don't understand, although this is very common to us, what we don't seem to understand is in that moment Jesus was literally hijacking, if you will, a ceremony that would be done by all the Jewish people at that moment. In fact, it still takes place today. It is... Uh, the, the supper that we call the Last Supper, it was a feast that marks the beginning of the Jewish holiday called the Passover. And during this feast, it, and like I say, it's still observed even to this day, they would actually drink from five different cups. They would, at moments during the meal, they would stand up and they would recall the covenants that God had made with them and they would drink five different cups. What we're going to do is over the coming weeks, um, we're going to go back and we're going to look at four of the cups. We are not going to deal with the fifth cup because the fifth cup was called the cup of wrath and Jesus was the only one that could drink of the cup of wrath and survive. Uh, how many of you know you don't want to drink the cup of wrath because we can't handle God's wrath? And fortunately, Jesus drank that for us. In fact, on the cross, many believe that in John chapter 19, verse 28, when Jesus says, I'm thirsty, it was more than just a natural response. It was literally him saying, God, here I am. Give me the fifth cup. I will drink all of it because I know they can't handle it, but I can handle it because of who I am. And he drank it for us. It was actually the third cup of the meal in which we base communion on. It's, it's not all the cups. It's the third cup that we base our communion on the way we do it today. But I want us to look at all four because the cups in this meal point back 
to Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 through verse 7. And in these four cups, there is a picture. I know what's happening in the Old Testament, but it is repeated in the New Testament as they're having this meal together. And as we gain the understanding of these four different cups that they're drinking from, what we do is we get a portrait or a picture of everything that Jesus has provided for us when he came and he died and he rose again. And I think it's important for us to understand everything that we have access to. Amen. And so I want you to join me in Exodus chapter 6, uh, verse 2 through 7. Hang on a second. Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 through 7. So God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by the name of the Lord. I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant, there it is again, with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Here they come. Therefore, say to the Israelites, here they are, I am the Lord, here's the first one, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They would read, I will bring you out, and they would stop and drink a cup. Because that's a covenant that's made. Then he says, and I will free you. And they would drink the second cup from, under the, uh, from being slaves to them. And then I will redeem you. And they would drink the third cup. With an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, I will take you. And they would drink the fourth cup as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So as the Jewish families would recall these four promises, they would take a moment and they would drink the cup. Let's start with cup number one. Cup number one is, uh, is called the cup of salvation. Now, some people, uh, theologians, also call it the cup of sanctification. But for our purposes, we're going to hone in on the fact that the first thing that Jesus provides for us is salvation. Uh, He says it like this in, in Exodus. It's this passage where he says, I will bring you out. I will bring you out of slavery. That's salvation. Now, I think we know very well that Jesus was committed to bringing salvation. Amen? We know that Jesus was so committed to bringing salvation to people that were lost. He said this about himself. I don't even come for those that are whole. I come for those that are sick. I'm coming for those that are destroyed. I'm coming for those that need to be saved. That's who I'm coming for. We know that he was so committed to salvation that he literally dies for salvation, right? I think we understand that he's committed to that, and I know we know that, but I think we need to back up before his death, and I need to point out to you that even in his life, he reveals to us just how committed to salvation he actually is and was. I want you to join me in Matthew chapter 9, and this is going to seem like an odd passage to read, but I want you to listen carefully. We're going to break it down, and then I'm going to make some some, uh, some. give you some insight, I hope, that will help us understand that Jesus was absolutely committed to salvation. Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 35. Then Jesus began traveling throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every illness. 
And when he saw the crowds, he was deeply moved with compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he told his disciples, The harvest is vast, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I want you to see this. Jesus went into a region. Those of us that got to go to Israel know the region we're talking about here. It's right around the Sea of Galilee. He spent practically most of his life, other than just a few uh, excursions to the other side and, and extended travel, most, they, the theologians, historians believe that Jesus spent practically 80% of his, his whole ministry in that one little small region right there around the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew tells us in chapter 9 that he walks into all of the synagogues. I want you to get that. That's an important feature here. He goes goes into all of the synagogues and he preaches. Then it says, check this out, he healed all of their diseases and all of their sicknesses. He healed their afflictions. So I need us to stop. Think about this a moment. Recognize what we just read. Jesus went into all the region, all the cities, and he preached in all of their synagogues. Think about that a moment. That would be like Jesus showing up today, walking into every church in Bethany, taking the microphone, standing up and proclaiming the gospel of peace. They just got to hear the best preacher in the entire world. Okay, some of y'all must have some favorite preachers that you think was better than Jesus. Jeez, this is not filtered through anybody. This is not like six generations removed. This is Jesus himself, the Word. The Word that was before the foundation of the earth, before earth was ever created. He was the Word. He knows the Word. He is the Word. He, he stands up and he preaches in all of their churches. Man, that's a good Sunday when Jesus preaches at your church. Right? That's what's happening here. It says he preached in all of their synagogues. Right? Okay, this is important. Then it says that he healed all their diseases and every sickness. One version says that he heals every disease and every affliction. Every. All. Do you understand what just took place? The best preacher on the planet stood up in a local congregation, every local congregation, and healed everybody that listened to him. Now you missed it. That's a pretty good stinking Sunday. He heals every disease. Every affliction is gone. No more sickness. Are are y'all tracking with me? This is a pretty significant statement. Jesus heals every disease so there's no one left they've heard the greatest preacher and now they're all healed and Jesus stops and I want you to notice that in the next the very next statement the Bible says that Jesus is moved on deeply with compassion check this out because they've heard and They've been healed. But he sees them as sheep with no shepherd. And it breaks his heart. And he begins to probably weep. 
And he begins to talk about the fact that we need to pray and ask God to send harvesters into the harvest. So in other words, Jesus comes to this conclusion. It's not enough just to hear. And it's not enough just to be healed if you're never harvested. See, I knew I wouldn't get any ration because we just don't understand that healing minus harvest grieves God. So Jesus calls his disciples together and he says this, we have to be, be busy, we have to be concerned, we have to be aware that there's a harvest out there. This should reveal to us just how deeply committed that Jesus is to salvation because he shows us that just hearing and being healed is not the end goal. See, I, I, that should challenge us in our pursuit. Uh, too many of us uh, just want the message heard. Well, if everybody could just hear the message, we'd be satisfied if everybody could hear the message. We want them to hear, but we're not really concerned whether they're ever harvested. If they would just listen to me, if they would just read my Facebook posts, if I could just give them a piece of my mind, if I could just tell them about what Jesus, who Jesus is, that's enough. No, it's not. No, it's not. We, we want our land healed, don't we? I mean, how many of you have been lately crying that our land would be healed? What, so, so we're asking God, heal our land. All the diseases, whatever sin, whatever affliction, whatever malady is on your radar. Because I've noticed we all pray for different stuff. So, so we start praying like this. God, we need, you to, we need you to heal our land of this virus. Please, God. We need you to heal it from racism. We need you to heal our land from hate. We need you to deal with abortion. We need you to deal with addiction. We need you to deal with adultery. We need you to deal with promiscuity. We need you to deal with perversion. God, we need you to heal our land of child abuse. We need you to, to, to step in and do, do something about poverty. We need you to do something about cancer. We need you to do something about this disease, this affliction. What is it that makes your list? What are you asking God to heal our land of? But the truth is that according to Jesus' actions and words, if he showed up and he healed all that stuff, but they aren't harvested, then we've missed the point. In fact, can I tell you this morning very bluntly that if all we're concerned about is people hearing and people being healed, that all we've really done is that if they're never harvested, all we've really done is provided them a healthy ride to hell. Our concern should be the concern of Jesus, which is salvation. Let me talk to you a moment to those in the room who have already drunk from the first cup and you would say, I've been saved, although there's research that shows that 50% of the people that attend church on a regular basis have never really drunk from the cup of salvation because their life is never truly transformed. So, so I don't want to assume that everybody in the room has already drunk from this cup, but for, the, for those of you that have, may I ask you to consider once again the importance of the message of salvation. May I get you to stop a moment in all of your pleas and all of your cries for the message to be heard, for all of your crying out for our land to be healed. Could I get you to stop for one moment and put, put back into the main place that should be what's in the main place, which is salvation. That is the message. That is the heart of God. 
That is the thing that moves him. In fact, how it matters to us is this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's those that have drunk from the first cup. They are, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, we, those of us that have drunk from the first cup, the church, we have been given the ministry to reconcile people to God. That is the primary focus. That is what we're supposed to be about, seeing people saved. Harvest is the point. Pray that God will send laborers into the harvest field, not not the healing fields, not the preaching fields. Jesus said, listen, if you're going to pray, pray that God would send laborers into the harvest field. If you've already been reconciled to God, if you've already experienced salvation, we're not supposed to get comfortable. We're not supposed to be sour. We're not supposed to be mean. We're not supposed to be hard-hearted. We're supposed to be passionate and compassionate towards those that have yet to drink. And we are to represent Jesus so well, represent Jesus so well. That we pull them to Him. In other words, believers have been given the ministry. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. You have a ministry. Well, I'm not a preacher. That's all right. I'm not a healing evangelist. That's all right. But, 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 but believers have been given the ministry, the job, the assignment, the task of reconciliation. We, we got to make the main thing the main thing again. If it moved Jesus, it should move us. Are you consumed by what consumed him? The the, the message of reconciliation is sharing the cup of salvation. That should be the flag that we fly the highest. That's why every Sunday when we get to the point in our service where we pray for those on our movers list. And if you don't have one of these, you need to get one of these out of the lobby. Every Sunday, but not just on Sundays, all week long. This should be the most passionate, moving prayer of our life and of our services. Instead of y'all just checking out when we start praying for movers because we've been doing this now for what? Eight, ten years we've been praying. Why? Because this is what moves the heart of God. I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad you're going to heaven. I'm glad that you glow in the dark because you're so spiritual. But my question is, is what about the people on this list? Do you even have a list of people that you're going, you know what? They need to drink of the cup of salvation. They don't need to know Jesus. Then they're going to bust hell wide open. This should consume us. Consume us. It should grip our hearts that people cannot just hear and they can't just be healed, but instead they must be harvested. See, we're so desperate for our land to be healed. Can I just tell you, uh, um, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to make a statement. Stay with me and see if I'm right. I am convinced that Jesus did not come to save America. 
Now, see, some of us are so desperate for our way of life to be preserved that we think Jesus came to save America. If Jesus came to save America, then he's going to owe all these other countries that don't have the same way of life that we have an apology. Can, can I be blunt with you? Jesus did not come to save America. He came to save Americans. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. He didn't come to save Brazil. He came to save Brazilians. Jesus came to save people. And until we become passionate about what Jesus is passionate about, we miss the entire point and we get sidetracked on stuff that does not matter. The thing that matters is sharing the message of the first cup and saying to people, you need to be saved. I don't want you just to hear me. I don't want just your sicknesses and your maladies to be healed. I want you to have a saving encounter with the grace and the person of Jesus. There's a second group of people in the room today. Maybe you're here and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior. And maybe you've heard. I'm glad you've heard. Maybe you've been healed. Maybe you have a testimony of God healed me of this and this and this. And I was going down for the last time. And somehow, some way, somewhere, God, it must have been God stepped in and rescued me. I'm glad for all that. But my question to you this morning is, have you experienced salvation? How, how do we know that we need to have a drink from the first cup. How do I even know if I'm not really in relationship with Jesus? What, what, do, what would be indicators that would show me that I need to take the drink of the first cup? I need to have a saving relationship. with? How would I know? Well, we just go back to Exodus and what you discover is that when God makes these promises to the Israelites, they're in bondage. They, they are slaves to the Egyptians. The Pharaoh is murdering their babies. And scripture says that Pharaoh has increased their already taxing workload by making them gather straw for the, the bricks that they have to make. So we can go, just go back to that and say from, from that experience right there, when, when God makes this covenant and says, I will bring you out, and now we fast forward to what Jesus wants to do in our life, that is the indication whether or not you need to be saved. Because you need to be brought out. When you feel enslaved. John, John chapter 9 verse 34 and 35. Jesus says this. He says I tell you most solemnly. That anyone who chooses a life of sin. Is trapped in a dead end life. And is in fact a slave. A slave is transient. Who can't come and go at will. So Jesus says. That until you encounter me. You are enslaved to a life of sin. If, if you feel enslaved. To things that you can't stop. And things I wished I could, wouldn't do. And, I, and I've got this overwhelming feeling of I can't leave it when I want to leave. Then you're enslaved. You need to be brought out. If you feel empty, you need to drink from this cup. Think about it just a moment. Can you imagine the emptiness the Israelites must have been having in that moment as Pharaoh is slaughtering all their babies. Can you imagine the hopelessness and the helplessness they're experiencing? And God says, I will bring you out of that. Can I tell you this morning that God can bring, Jesus can bring you out of feeling empty. If you feel empty and hopeless and helpless, the only hope that I can offer you is this. Jesus can fill you up. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. 
He can fill your life. You need to be brought out if you feel empty. If you feel exhausted. Then you need to be brought out. Can you imagine how exhausted the Israelites must have been under the weight of the order of Pharaoh? They're, they're supposed to... They have a quota of all the bricks they're supposed to build. And as the plagues increase, the Pharaoh increases the quota. And then at the end, he says, not only am I going to increase the quota, I'm going to force you to go get the straw that we used to supply to you to make the bricks. Now you got to go get that in addition to making all these bricks. you got to go get the supplies yourself. They were exhausted. And some of you in this room this morning, because you haven't experienced Jesus and you haven't drunk from the first cup, you're walking through life exhausted. That's why, that's why Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to exhaust you. He wants to wear you out. It takes more and more and more and more to satisfy. I, 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 it takes more to get high. It takes more to satisfy. The satisfaction is it's fleeting and momentarily I'm distracted for a moment. Then and I realize I'm still just as tired as I was. You're enslaved. You need to be brought out. The solution to feeling enslaved. The solution to being empty. The solution to being exhausted. It's simply this, Jesus. Salvation. It isn't just hearing, it isn't just healing. You've got to be saved. Romans chapter 6 verse 19 says this, Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. In other words, the only way to no longer be a slave to sin is to change masters and become a slave to Jesus. And in that moment, when you drink from the first cup, old is gone and the new has arrived. There are only two groups of people in this room, those that have drunk from the first cup already. And my question to you is, do you value salvation as much as Jesus did? Does it drive you? Does it consume you like it did Jesus? But there's a second group in this room. Maybe you've been attending here for years and you've still never drunk. Maybe this is your first time and you've never drunk. There are people on the internet right now watching that need to drink from the first cup. Your only solution, the only solution to the sin problem in your life is Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can set you free. I want us to pray this morning. I'm going to pray for two groups. I'm going to pray for the first group, those of us that have already drunk, that God would begin to consume us with what consumes Him once again and that we would be absolutely overtaken by the need to share Jesus with those around us. But then I want to stop after that prayer and we're going to have a prayer for those that may need to give their heart and life to Jesus today. He's your only hope. Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would speak to those of us that are in relationship with you. We've drunk from the first cup. We laid down our sins. We got saved. You rescued us. We were perishing. We were doomed. 
We were on, the, on our road to hell, but instead you stepped in and you rescued us and we made you the master, the savior, the Lord of our lives. We're thankful this morning that you saved us. But Father, I pray that you would confront us this morning with this truth. It's not enough for people to just hear. And it's not enough for our land just to be healed. We need a harvest. And so, Father, I pray that the compassion that, that, that ate Jesus, that, that feeling deep inside of him that moved him to cry out, that passionate plea for people to be harvested into your kingdom, God, I pray that that would be what would consume us today. We would not be consumed, we would not be distracted, we would not be overwhelmed by anything else. We would, as believers, we would once again take up the task, the mantle of reconciliation, and you would allow us to share the truth of Jesus to those that are lost. Break our hearts for those around us that don't know you. God, I, may, I ask you to help us to make a commitment that we don't, we don't put all of our efforts and all of our energies in just being heard. And then we wipe our hands and say, well, we've done our part. God, I pray that we would not be so distracted by the fact that they've been healed that we no longer push through and obtain what you're committed to, which is the harvest of their soul. May we be faithful and diligent about leading people to the saving knowledge of Jesus. May that be the flag that we fly higher than any other flag. May that be the thing that consumes our mornings, our afternoons, and our nights is how do we get people saved? How do we get people into the kingdom of God before they go to hell? Consume us again. Break our heart for what breaks yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around except my prayer team so they can pray intelligently. If you're here this morning, you say, Steve, I do not know Jesus. I didn't, I didn't say, I did not ask you if you came to church. I'm not really concerned about whether you attend church at the moment. My question is, have you given your life and your heart to Jesus? Not just heard the message, not just been healed in the past. Do you know Jesus? Do you feel like you're enslaved? Do you feel like you're empty? Do you feel like you're exhausted? If that's the case, then you need to drink from the first cup. He can set you free. If you're here this morning and that's you, we will not embarrass you. We simply want to pray intelligently and put materials in your hands to help you on this journey. If that's you, would you pull your hand, put your hand up and you can pull it right back down. I need to know Jesus. There's one. Anyone else that would say, I need to know him? I need to be set free. I need to be brought out from all this stuff in my life. Is there anybody else before we pray? Before we pray. I want us to all pray this together because this is the most important prayer that we can pray and that we lead other people in. There's nothing magic about the prayer. It's a faith exchange. It's this coming to the conclusion that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. It's coming to the belief that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and then confessing with my mouth and committing with my life to serve Him. We've all come here. We need to come here again. Would you join me as we pray? 
Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I cannot live life on my own. I continue to mess it up. I need to be saved. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again on the third day. I believe because of that sacrifice, I can have relationship with the Father. So I give him my heart and I give you my life. I commit myself to you. I'm asking you to set me free. I'm asking you to fill me up. I'm asking you to give my soul rest. I make you king. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Come on, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Father, we're excited this morning. Your word declares this, that when one soul, just one, this ought to show us how, how important this is to you. When one soul is saved, your word declares that a party breaks out in heaven and angels begin to rejoice because the sinners come home. The entire kingdom stops business and celebrates, and we celebrate too. And we're thankful that you loved us so much that you were committed to save us. When we had no hope, we give you glory. We give you honor. We praise you, Jesus, because we know we couldn't do this without you. We thank you today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, Austin. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 